Well, welcome back to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, joined by Eric Stearns, and today we're digging into my message from a couple of weeks ago because we were off because of harvest and a couple of other things, and then Eric's message from last Sunday while I was off on a hunting trip back to my home in Gregory, South Dakota. But uh, we're going to be digging into both of our messages and just kind of a broad sweep through a little bit of Old Testament history of how um, the Joseph series connects to Eric's sermon next Sunday, or Eric's sermon last Sunday, and then the sermon series are going to be starting on this upcoming Sunday. So let's get into it. It's been, what, a couple weeks here yep. since we've we've had a discussion. Yeah. Um, so let's first go back and wrap up Joseph. Um, so two weeks ago, you got to the point where, hey, this isn't all doom and gloom, so that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, this story is so... I don't know. It's just kind of bizarre because so for so long in the story, it is doom and gloom and everything is awful and everything that can go wrong goes wrong for Joseph until it doesn't. And then that's when that's when things get kind of interesting because, you know, characters from the start of the story come back into the story, uh, namely his brothers. Um, And like so in Genesis 42, like I said a couple weeks ago, word goes because the famine is so widespread. Word finally reaches Jacob's household that, hey, there's grain in Egypt. There's food in Egypt. Let's send the brothers to Egypt. And so the brothers go. And like like I said on a couple weeks ago. Even if the story, like, there's no reason why the brothers would have been looking for Joseph. There's no reason why they would have assumed, like, we're meeting with the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. It could not possibly be our brother because they don't know what happened to him. They sold him off into slavery. Then they left on their camels and whatever happened next happened next. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so they meet in front of this very important person and Joseph's like, you guys don't know. You don't know that I know. And, uh, you know, he has a little bit of fun with them. I think it's deserved. I mean, he says, you know, you say you're hungry and why you could be lying to me, you know, prove it basically. And, you know, he eventually does. They eventually, you know, grovel basically at his feet, at the feet. And like the, the dream comes true. Like the, they do indeed bow to him in the same way that the sheaves of wheat did in the dream at the very, very start of the story. Um, and he becomes the brightest star because he is the second most important person in all of Egypt and these guys are worthless beggars at his feet, literally at his feet. If we're going to hold on to a God-sized dream and let it be the dream that God gives us, right? You know what I'm saying? Like from a couple, that's kind of been my my rallying cry the last couple of weeks or the last weeks of those series has just been Joseph isn't giving up. God's not giving up. And so how do we live this faithfulness out um, to live with the, with the same type of integrity and grace of Joseph? Because at the very end of the story, like the brothers are like wheeling, de- wheeling and dealing and scheming like, hey, maybe Joseph's going to be mad because we really kind of took his life away from him. Like he was he was Jacob's favorite and then didn't get to see Jacob again till the very last days of Jacob's life on earth. And the brothers are like, um, maybe we should lie to him again and say, hey, dad made us promise to make you promise to take care of us if anything were to happen. And Joseph could have just said, dad's dead and y'all stole so much of my life from me. Do y'all want to know what the, what the dungeon looks like? Because I know what the dungeon looks like. I mean, he could have just sent them back to, to Canaan to starve. But he says, what you all intended for evil, God has redeemed for good. 
because there are people from our homeland that are going to survive this because of the grain that I'm able to provide, not just you, but a lot of people from Israel. There are people that are alive because of the things that I have done and the things that God has allowed me to do, given me the wisdom to do. He just responds with this level of grace that I just find so baffling. I I, I just know who I am as a person. Um, and I just don't think I could do what Joseph did. Even having this mild shenanigans with 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 Benjamin um, of like, you know, planting the cup in his bag and then saying, hey, y'all are trying to steal from me. I mean, I just think that that, like I said on, on that Sunday a couple of weeks ago, that's just brotherly shenanigans. Um, you know, that's, that's really all, really all that is, uh, the way that the rest of Joseph's story unfolds is that level of in- integrity, that level of commitment to God's plan never wavers in his life. Like he stays committed to God throughout his entire life. And I just think that that is such a goal for us. And that's just, I think that was such an important, um, story for us to walk through as a hero of the faith of just, you know, how, when we go through our own times, when life is not fair and it's hard to endure, we can know that someone someone that is short of Jesus, like, he did it, you know? Mm-hmm. There was a human person that lived this type of integrity. And we can, too. The brother. I mean, trying to think about this from the brother's standpoint. Like, why? Like you said, they, they tried to trick him again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And... Why didn't they learn their lesson at some point? Like, hey, let's quit messing with this guy. He's really, really powerful, and he keeps winning because he has the integrity. And obviously, that's the way to go. And you don't yep. have you don't feel bad. Your life, your life is going so much better because you keep your integrity and stick to um, stick to what is right. And these yeah. guys keep messing up, like. Why? Like, what What were they doing? It's just got to be fear at some point. Mm-hmm. Fear. Definitely. Fear and arrogance and just, you know, I mean, at some point, a refusal to admit that what they're doing is the wrong thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just crazy. I do have a question. Um, and maybe this is a dumb question. Might be a dumb question. Um, but the, the 12 tribes of Israel, mm-hmm. that's the 12 sons of Jacob slash Israel, right? Yep. Right. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's like, I was 99.9% sure, but I was like, Hey, let's just ask this because it's. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. The 12 tribes, I mean, these become the patriarchs of the, of the nation of Israel. Like these, I mean, like even to this day, not just culturally Jewish people, but religiously Jewish people can trace their lineage back to their tribe. Um, you know, like we know from like the apostle Paul, he's, we know from scripture that he's a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Cause at some, yeah, at some point God changes Jacob's name to Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And like, that's, I mean, that's like right away, like, right. I mean, that's even before the, even before the story of Joseph really takes off, that has already happened. By the time we get to Genesis 37, that has already happened. That Jacob and Jacob and Israel start to become, you know, used um, interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. He is Israel and that, that be, they become the 12 tribes. So then, how long how long does the 
does the do the Israelites stay in Egypt after you know kind of Jake, uh, Joseph's reign? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hundreds of years. Um, so the book of Exodus begins with the words um, that a pharaoh has arisen that is not does not know who Joseph is because it's been like four hundred years. Like so much time has passed that they don't. I mean terrible history books they don't remember what has happened they don't understand why there is this sect of hebrew people living in their nation living in their in their land they don't under they they may have like a a vague understanding of why they why there are just hebrew people that happen to live in egypt but they don't remember what the hebrew people did for the nation of egypt in the midst of that entire economic cycle a pharaoh rises that does not know who Joseph is. And that's when the oppression starts. And it's until like, you know, and so that it's like an entire another adult lifespan before they actually leave because the book of Exodus starts, the oppression starts, Moses is born. And it isn't until Moses is an adult that he goes back to Pharaoh and says, okay, that's enough now. Stop messing with my people. And God says, stop. And then the exodus happens and then, you know, the wandering in the wilderness and the getting to the very brink of the, of the whole of the of the promised land. And and Moses doubts for this, you know, half a second. And God's like, OK, cool. You don't get to see the promised land. But, you know, God doesn't abandon them to the midst of that. So, I mean, that's more of an answer than you asked for. But it's, you know, it's it's a solid, you know, 400, 450 years that they're in. In, in captivity and or they're, that they're in Egypt before they are returned to, um, you know, anything close to the promised land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They lived there. They lived in Egypt for 400 years, unoppressed. Mm-hmm. And then 80, 50, 80 years ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it right. Talks about how Moses is in his, is an elderly man when he starts to. Yeah to get his people out of there yeah and yeah that's crazy so that's you know that was one thing i was thinking about and i mentioned in my sermon on sunday is how the israelites have no clue like anything outside of egypt they have no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it other than hey this leader of our people says get out of here we need to get out of here you know and just I, I completely understand being an Israelite in that in this story like there's there's no reason to leave in their eyes you know because they have they have food and they have work and they have whatever else I mean they're they're getting beaten and there's other things they're slaves in a, in a land that's not theirs yep but at least they're surviving exactly now you wander around in the wilderness and you're not even surviving you know, or, or it's, or it's harder to survive, I should say. Mm-hmm. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah. They're on the verge. By the time they go to, by the time they go to Moses with their complaints, they are on the verge because like you said, they were well fed and they were well taken care of. And yeah, they had a sense of purpose and, you know, they had none of that now. And it's because this guy named Moses said so. I mean, it's because God, it's ultimately because God said so, but it's really because of Moses. Like it's really because in their minds, at least it's because Moses said so. It was not easy to be the leader of the, of the, of the people. I mean, until, I mean, even after God gave the law, I mean, after God gave the 10 commandments and then the 613, you know, full, the full Hebrew law, I mean, it had to have been so difficult to understand. 
even with the provision of manna, even with the provision of quail, even with the provision of leadership, like it just would have been so hard to, to fully grasp what God was up to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, even for Moses. Oh yeah. Like he, you've got to, I mean, and he questions, he doubts and I'd be doubting way more than he was. Yeah. You know, why are you making me do this? And, mm-hmm. and what did we get ourselves into or the things that I'd be thinking about? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Why are we having to do this to these people? And, you know, why are these people, you know, if if this is really what you want, God, why wouldn't this just be easy? You know, which it's a great question for our own lives, too, because there are things that God wants us to do that are definitely not easy to do. But, yeah, we get the opportunity to be faithful in those as well. Yeah. How do you... Yes, this is an example of how, you know, this is an example of getting through a time that's hard and following God, you know, continuing to follow God no matter what. But what do you do um, when things are hard for you? Like when you're you're doubting, when you're struggling, what do you do to help kind of recenter yourself? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I... I have a really good set of colleagues uh, that I can just, you know, communicate with in some way, whether that's Facebook Messenger or FaceTime or Marco Polo or Snapchat. We have just we have have a really solid network. Um, You know, we were we're a connectional denomination and all of our colleagues care for each other um, in, in some degree or another. Um, the other thing that I do is I'm, I've really gotten, um, in the last couple of years into a spiritual practice of praying the hours. Uh, there are a set of, I've talked about this before, I think on the podcast, but, um, um, I pray the, uh, the office of the hours. Um, so there are set times for prayer in the midst of the day. Um, I use a prayer guide called the divine hours by Phyllis Tickle. Um, it's a book that I, it's a series of books that I've really come to just deeply appreciate. It stays in my backpack. Um, all of the time. Um, I can just pull it out at any time during the, you know, the the time when it is time to pray. Um, they're all based on scripture. Uh, they are the, the it's a lot of praying the Psalms um, and just reconnecting with God throughout the day, um, so that those times of doubt don't feel so snowbally, where like they start and they just keep rolling, and then you're just like, oh my gosh, I haven't felt the presence of God in so long, and. You know, but this kind of constant reminder of God's presence through God's word um, is uh, has been just uh, vital for me. Um, there is also a couple of, of very similar podcasts I listen to uh, when I'm exercising uh, that really, really kind of stay that keep me grounded in the midst of that and make exercise kind of a holy practice too, because I'm engaging that. I mean, not just engaging my physical body, but also um, what's going on in my spirit in the midst of that as well. Nice. Yeah. I can't imagine being in your position and um, the these hard times that you've got to be facing when, you know, different people in the church or, you know, attacks from outside the church or whatever it might be, you're going to take that differently than, you know, just a regular um, member of the church would. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there are definitely things that ultimately aren't personal, but can still feel really personal. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
I believe, I mean, Moses felt had to have felt that too. Like people are whining and constantly complaining and just, you know, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this to us? And it was better back there. And it's like, no, I've been given a command from God to get you guys out of here. And let's, you know, let's, let's go, let's, let's do the thing. And, um, you know, not that, I mean, I feel like I've been called by God. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, if, if this was not God's idea, this would not have been what I did with my life. Let's just be completely frank about that. Um, but to put myself on the same level of Moses feels a little bit, you know, yep. let's just be honest about where we are, you know, yep. I'm leading us towards deeper faithfulness. I'm leading us to more Christ likeness. I hope that's my, that's my intention. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely different work uh, than what Moses was up to. Mm-hmm. The challenges are still there and it can be really isolating sometimes. I agree. I think you have to have people around you that are in, in, um, that, you know, it goes for anything really. Like if you're new ideas or anything like that, you, you, things don't really get started until you feel like you have support from someone else, Mm -hmm. you know? And in the same sense, I think our faith is the same way that if we don't have any support from anyone else, it's going to fall apart. Yep. That's what the yep. church is, right? Why Paul says to the church in Galatia to bear one another's burdens. Like, you know, to, and like, that's why he, you know, when he talks about the life of the church, he talks about it being a body where all these things are connected and work together towards, you know, growing up into the head of Christ, the headship of Christ, and then growing to the point where we're the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. Like, we have work to do, and it's really hard sometimes, but we're not alone in the midst of it, is the, you know, is, is Paul's big point in saying what he says, mm-hmm. which is helpful, not just for Corinth that was having issues of staying unified, but it's helpful for us too, because life is hard and things are weird sometimes, and we just need those reminders. Yeah. Otherwise, who knows? God may destroy us, like he said in, on, in, the, in the passage on Sunday. Right. So that's super fun. Yeah, definitely. But I did I did really appreciate it. And like I want to like affirm um and just so that, that we're all on the same page, like you're right that God had no intention of actually wiping out humanity. Um God was just kind of prompting Moses with hyperbole. Um, because God does that in several different points in time and in, in, in throughout human history. Like Noah and the flood. God's like, okay, this human project hasn't worked out. It's just Noah and his sons. That's all that's worked thus far. So we're gonna really get rid of everything else. And Noah's like, um, hey God, um, no, let's not do that. Here's a better idea. And Noah does not correct God. God knows what God's gonna do in the first place. He just God just wants support in the midst of it kind of what we were just talking about. You know, we don't do anything until we have the support of someone else around us. And not that God needs that, but it does end up working better if there is a someone that can come behind it and champion it in a way that then moves things forward. So that's what's happening here. Like Moses is exhausted and fair. Like, let's just be honest, fair that Moses is, is exhausted. And God gives Moses what Moses needs to make it through to the next chapter in the story the next hard decision that he has to make the next time he has to say okay cool yeah you thought it was better there but still god has this bigger promise for us if we can only just see it together you know there because those those moments had to have come mm-hmm. yep 
Do you feel, I don't know, when I was when I was putting this sermon together, I think it's probably the first time I've preached out of the um out of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That might be true. If not, maybe one other time. But anyway, um when when you're preaching out of the Old Testament, do you find it besides maybe the Psalms, do you find it harder to preach from than the New Testament? I felt it was a challenge only because I felt like God was a little bit harsher me, um, than than maybe how G, you know how Jesus treats others in the New Testament. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean the what makes it harder for me is some really nerdy things um, because like my background has been more focused on New Testament. Like um, I had to take an old, I had to take when I was in seminary and when I was in college, um, I had to take both an Old Testament general study and then also an Old Testament elective in both of those degree programs in my undergraduate and in, in seminary. But then like I had to do New Testament survey and also New Testament elective, but then I also took Greek, which was like going into the original text of the New Testament and doing translation work. Like I have an, a translation of the book of Philippians that is literally like because of what I've learned, I've gone from the original Greek into English in the, in the book of Philippians. Like I just don't have the background in Hebrew that I do in Greek. I've got great resources. I've got, you know, people that are smarter than me that I can just say, Hey, is there anything that I need to know about this passage from the old Testament? And they can be like, Hey, here's a word that gets translated wrong, or here's a word that they don't really agree with on the translation. And like, there's no consensus and I can dig in and find the, find the, find the, the nugget in that. Um, But uh, narratively, I think the old Testament is just as, you know, when you're when you're preaching narratives like the the stories of the Gospels or the stories of the Book of Acts or the stories of the Old Testament, it's it's just it, it's narrative preaching. That's that's there's something familiar there. Um, preaching like doctrinal preaching of like you know Paul is going off on some kind of theological tangent in his letter to the church in Rome. That can be challenging in a different way for me as well. But the character and nature of God in the Old Testament does come off a little bit different and a little bit gruffer um, because, you know, the people of God are doing a terrible job at being the people of God. Um, You know, the entire enduring story of Israel is faithfulness, rebellion, recognition, faithfulness, rebellion, recognition, faithfulness, rebellion, recognition. And like God, like the the heart of God in the midst of that is that God doesn't give up on the people. Like God maybe prompts them like with Moses with hyperbole and says, Hey, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to give up. And as a way of challenging the people to say, no, let's not do that. Life is better with God in it than, than not. And, you know, and, and, and then they, then they realize it, then they come into a season of faithfulness and then things get better and things get lazy and then they forget. And then it gets hard again. And, you know, but God never gives up. God provides leadership to the people of Israel, no matter where they find themselves, no matter what leadership, no matter what form that leadership takes, God never gives up on the people of God to the point that God sends Jesus. The God sends literally part of God's own self in human flesh to be among the people because prophets haven't worked and warnings haven't worked and exile hasn't worked. And 
what's going to finally get through to these people that God is for them and not against them. And to just remember the freaking rules, you know, mm-hmm. and, and more than that, to have a relationship with God, because that's what God ultimately wants. The point that Jesus comes and then the point that the church rises and the point that we, you know, live out our faith today, you know, yeah. I don't know if I answered the question, but no, I think that was excellent. But God does definitely come off as a little bit more, a little bit gruffer. And Jesus does definitely reinterpret and reimagine things because he is the son of God. Like, you know, he is a part of the divine self of of, of who God is. Um, and so he has the authority to, 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 to do those things and say those things in a hey. way that nobody else does. Because he is literally both human and divine at the same time and fully both of those things. Which really makes no sense, but we can get into that later. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other theological can of worms that we don't have time to dig into right now. But yep, the cut for cut for time podcast will be talking about the Chalcedonian Creed and how this all happened in church history, and it's gonna be great. Oh boy, we're gonna get real deep. Poor Eric didn't know what he was signing up for. <laughs> Pastor Clay never heard from him again. <laughs> uh, you hinted at next week a little bit. So maybe recap or, or preview, I guess, not recap, uh, what the plan is for next week in the next series. Yeah, so Sunday begins a new message series. Uh, it's focused on stewardship. Um, and I know that that just sends everybody's toes a tapping and really motivates us to come to church. But just bear with me. Um, it's going to be it's going to be fine. Um, it's about stewardship in a very specific way. It's about the stewardship of our legacy of, you know, what are we, what decisions are we making? How are we living out our faith today? How are we making godly choices today in a way that enables the future generation to continue the work of the church when we are no longer, you know, around. Um, and so we're going to be digging into a stewardship of leadership on Sunday. Um, and just, you know, a stewardship of how much we trust God. Um, you know, because we're me digging into the transition of the, of the leadership. So like we've gone through this really weird old Testament history swing where we did Joseph for six weeks. This was a cool transitional moment where you're like, here's Moses wrestling with how to, how to lead the people of God. Sunday, we're going to fast forward in the story to where Moses is setting up the next generation of leadership. And it's again kind of through that hyperbole hyperbolic prompting that God does sometimes where like Moses has to say okay cool God's making me deal with the consequences of my actions because I did doubt God at Meribah um to the point where I'm not going to see the promised land but God don't give up on the people don't give up on the people they can do this point Joshua as the next leader and God says all right cool let's do that and you know, and and God does. And Joshua does become the leader of the people that brings them into the promised land. Um, and so it's just, you know, going to be about our stewardship of our future. And how are we, uh, how are we setting that up? How are we setting that up through our financial giving, not just to the church, but just in generosity and in, in, and in response to the faithfulness of God in our lives? Um, do we trust God enough with the legacy of not just our church, but just, you know, the universal church? Do we trust God enough? Moses did. Straight up. Moses trusted God enough to entrust the leadership into Joshua's hands. And Joshua does become the leader of the people 
that leads them into the promised land, that leads them into this fulfillment of God's promises that they have been waiting for for literally hundreds of years. How are we living that same kind of legacy? How are we leaving that same kind of legacy for those that are that are going to come after us on Sunday? I'm just, just specifically digging into this one incident between Moses and God, and then through that, uh, Joshua. Thanks for joining us on this week's Cut for Time podcast. Join us again next week in person at 10 a.m. in the church, uh, online at Facebook Live, or back here for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.